What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 57 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we will jump right into some education. We'll talk about building dynamics and how we went about creating that texture in our playing. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Shannon Forrest. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Bosphorus 20th Anniversary Series Symbols. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Just double check. I'm recording. Please uh, double check. I've got a red light and 48 hours. Is it facing the right way? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Which is still the wrong way in my opinion, but whatever. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Actually, I guess it's the right way if you weren't recording yourself, because then you could look at the back of the screen while you face this to something else. Uh, right? Maybe. Maybe that's, maybe that's their thought, is you're standing at a concert just loving Coldplay. <laughs> And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that's the only band that comes to mind when I think of a concert. Coldplay. With your Zoom, I, yeah. With, yeah, with my Zoom H2N uh, <laughs> fighting past the, the throngs of fans that they have. You know what? Let's talk about this. You see what this is? Looks like a FedEx ticket. Yeah. What is it? That's a that's a FedEx ticket that, that they give you when you're not here, even though oh. I'm here doors unlocked and they just assumed he's never there because i'm always here but the door's always locked so the dream watch that i've been waiting for showed up today but oh, i didn't get it what a FedEx tease de- yeah fedex decided i wasn't here enough didn't even they? though the door was unlocked did they give you that like second time warning third time it's getting sent yeah, back I, I just got we got to send it back and i'm like <laughs> you know uh no so yeah so so now uh, I called FedEx and I was like, "Hey, can he make like another loop?" So I'm so my door is wide open. People can just steal cymbals and drums. And since I'm doing an hour long podcast with you, I can't stop them. I'm not going <laughs> to sacrifice this episode. So if you're anywhere in the Folsom area and you can time travel back to yesterday, since this will be posted tomorrow, feel free. Come on and steal some stuff. <laughs> How are you, bud? Hey, man, it's Labor Day weekend this weekend. Hey, we're on episode I- fifty-seven, correct? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. What did I say? 54? 54, in the, yeah. In the rundown that I sent you? <laughs> sure. Are we really on 57? Yeah, yeah, 57. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's but, crazy. You know, it's Happy Labor Day weekend, everyone. It's nice long. Do you get to actually spend any time away from work or because you're well, self-employed? The campers, yeah, the campers get here on Saturday, so no. Oh, wow. Yeah. So wow, you're busting up their holiday weekend, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm. Uh, well, the way I see it is... They're lucky because it's one day less of paid work that they have to take off to attend camp. So it's really yeah. a discount for them. Um, but no, it'll. And I mean, if you're going to do anything on your day off, hanging around eight other drummers and hitting things as hard as you can, especially when you don't even own them. And, <laughs> and if it, like we have a, a rule here that if you break it, you keep it. So it's like, dude, go for it. Have fun. I think it'll be a good Labor Day weekend for everybody, man. So yeah. do you have any plans? No, I, I don't have any gigs this weekend. I hope it stays that way, and I need to catch up on a lot of studio stuff. So it'll be good, good chance to really? get in there and uh, get some recordings done that are about a week overdue and a bunch of product demos. I've got a Gretsch Renown 2 kit that I've got a demo. I don't even know. I've <laughs> Clearly, I've spent way too much time doing camps this, this year, bingo, because uh, I didn't even know there was a Gretsch Renown 2. Yeah, what is it? They started putting... Um, the Brooklyn hoops on it, the 302s, or whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. So is that the entire upgrade? And, <laughs> and like, the bearing edges are now 30 degrees rather than 
I think they were 45. Yeah. Yeah, they were 45. Yeah. So, okay, so now the Renown is getting warmer and Gretchified. Yeah. Instead of being so... Because it it was a little detached from what Gretsch is, but I also think it gave them something in their lineup that had a modern sound. So it always made sense to me, but it it is made overseas. Um, And Mm -hmm. so... But that's that's cool that even the Renown, especially for the guys that buy the Renown... um, uh, maybe in bop sizes, like they don't want to have the Catalina, but they don't want to go full USA Custom. Yeah. That'll, that'll give them something there. So that's that's cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, next week I'll be able to kind of report more on it. But that's a review coming out. Um, okay, we have to talk about something serious. Okay, now I might lose my Gretsch endorsement for saying this, but what the hell was up with that '57 Chevy finish <laughs> that they came out with? Please tell me you didn't like that. Because <laughs> this will seriously divide our friendship. For everyone that has that finish, there's nothing it's nothing wrong. And for certain people with a certain vibe that listen to a lot of Elvis, it fits in. But I just didn't understand how it tied into Gretsch. That's what I was lost on. It wasn't the finish itself. It's like, how does this tie into Elvin Jones? I don't yeah. get it. No, it didn't. It yeah, I know a guy who actually has it and loves it. So if you know, if, dude, no, if I mean the hot rods I, and and that stuff. Yep, and cool. Like I said, I think the finish is great. It just I never understood how it tied into Gretsch. And for whatever reason, every time I needed to borrow someone's kit, like at a clinic where there wasn't a Gretsch dealer anywhere nearby, that's the one they always had. They're like, "Yeah, man, you can borrow my Renown." I'm like, "Sweet." And then they bring in that, and I'm like, "Oh, it's that one." Yeah, that's cool. It's just not my thing. But that being said, I'm glad the Renown Two is going to have. Is going the other way, which is you know giving some love to the thirty degree bearing edges, the three hundred two hoops. So I, I'm looking forward. Do you know what finish you got? Uh, Hopefully not that. <laughs> it's a, no, it's like a it's a burst. It's like a, a amber oh, cool. burst. They all, I think cool. they also have like a like a vintage pearl that looks pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. I've seen um, you and I have talked about him a few times. I think a little bit, but a friend of mine, Joe Arrington, he plays for a band called A Lot Like Birds, mm-hmm. and uh, he he. Uh, played in Chiodos for a while. Anyways, monster drummer, but he has the renown in. I think they call it vintage marine pearl. Maybe it's yeah. a, it's got a little hint of yellow to it, and it's really beautiful. And then they did it with. Um, I mean, this was stock, but it came with uh, almost like walnut bass drum hoops, and then the vintage marine pearl inlay. So oh, really sweet. beautiful kit on his renown. So I, I, I love that kit. All yeah. right, well let's get started, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little education. It's important. It is. It's definitely you learn. back to school time. It is. <laughs> so uh, we'll get to the Colin Kaepernick stuff later. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's a can of worms. Holy mackerel. Uh, I will not even go there. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> moving on. Uh, <laughs> Wait a minute. Has hey, he been I- cut yet? That's all I want to know. Has he been cut yet? Because he wasn't even going to be the starter, right, before all this happened? Uh, no. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a... He, well, okay, so it seemed like things were going to go well for him because when we brought in Chip Kelly for the 49ers, it's like, cool, Chip finally has his quarterback to run his style of offense. Yeah. This is going to be – and now Colin can be what he naturally is. And, yeah, it just didn't work out that way. And I think he might he, – he's either – so Blaine Gabbert's going to be the starter. He might be second or third on the depth chart. So we don't have to discuss any of the particulars or our opinions on what he's doing, but – they definitely, at least on the West Coast, the media is definitely pulling into question, why are you doing this now? When you're not um, the starter. Yeah. Um, and my thought is this. I think that, and, and like I said, we can keep the, the real stuff out of it because that's not this is not the forum for it. But 
people do change, and who knows if he actually felt like this when he was the starter? Maybe he, you know, who knows? I, I don't. Yeah. You never know when th- one more thing's going to put you over the edge, and you be like, enough is enough, and then it just kind of becomes like, oh, it's too bad that I'm, I'm not in the position I was. Because uh, right now it does seem a little weird. It's like, okay, the, the Niners owe you twelve million dollars, and they can't really cut you after this. I don't think that's the reason for it. It's just unfortunate timing, you know. Yeah. Um, well, so. I mean, it's it's certainly no mystery and no question that professional athletes have a certain type of ego and personality that it's kind of what makes them rise to the top, and it also it can be their downfall when they don't get the the attention they certainly think they deserve. Not saying he's one of those, but we saw it with Johnny Football. Right, he just yeah. couldn't hang, and all of a sudden, he just went completely off the deep end. <laughs> that dude, you know. And then there's there's really redeeming stories like Michael Phelps. We thought he was going the Johnny yeah, Football route did, yeah. after the last Olympics, and he came back, and then he was like, "Oh wow, sorry, Ryan Lochte, you're taking the fall this time because <laughs> all I did was win golds, and I'm coming home, and I'm not talking I'm to anybody. Hang out I'm my not... family, and just <laughs> yep. be cool. I'm going to drink a root beer, and we are done." <laughs> Thank you. So, all right. Well, let's talk about education. Uh, so, I wanted to talk to you about building dynamics. I think you and I are two people that, especially when I, when I think about the drummers that you and I obsess over, the type of drumming that we both play, we definitely put a big, big premium on dynamics. And absolutely, there's more that goes into that. Definitely, we could talk in the future about texture uh, and creating a rich woven tapestry of groove, but I'm just talking about controlling every single note. And I want to talk about the way that you and I both individually went about building up our dynamics. Cause in my mind as a teacher, I'm very familiar with the stages of dynamics, which is in the beginning, there really aren't any, right. either you're a quiet person and you play the drums quiet, or you're a bombastic person. You play the drums loud. Then at some point I'm able to give you an overall volume knob where I can control how loud you play, but you're still playing very monotone. And then as I keep working with you with different exercises, I'm able to finally give you your own mixing board where I can create volume dynamics for each individual limb. And then the last step would be every single note has its own control. So mm-hmm. how did you – well, one, was this something that got on your radar early or did it come from all of your snare drum stuff? Yeah. Was, I would assume that was a big part of it. <clears throat> yeah, definitely early on because of – I mean I started right away in concert band and stuff and – the drummers are always too loud in concert bands, so right. the first thing you learn is how to play everything really, really quietly. That, and I think that that kind of reset everything. And I'm not I'm not a loud person to begin with, so I don't really get. I mean, I like hitting the drums hard, but it's not like I have to do that to feel like I can express myself. I actually right. enjoy the challenge of can I feel free and open, super quiet. I enjoy that challenge. So it was from the very beginning. All my teachers they would always push the dynamics like even beyond what I thought. I thought I already could play with dynamics and they would always say it's not quiet enough or it's not enough contrast or make that crescendo more even or swell. So a lot of my practice was doing rudiments at all the different dynamics, um, single stroke rolls, just going from super quiet to actually all the rudiments from super quiet to full volume and back down. Um, and then in marching band, uh, we we're taught the level system. So you have like a level one to six. So one is basically an inch and a half off the drum. Two is three inches. Three is four and a half or five inches. Like just working your way up to a full stroke at level six. Okay, sure. So we did every exercise, every warm-up at all the different dynamics and being able to jump from one to the other. Um, 
so yeah, and then and I just I just enjoy listening to drummers who 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 use shape, use dynamics yeah. to shape because you can play the the most boring drum fill four on the snare, four on the rack tom, four on the floor tom. You can play that a billion different ways just based right. on your dynamics. So that's yeah. I think partly why my my lick vocabulary is limited is because I feel like I I can use dynamics to get the point across rather than worrying about patterns. Okay, yeah, got it. So from the very beginning, everything I've always practiced has involved all dynamics. Not every single time, but at least some point. And just playing a ton of classical music and drumline stuff. I feel like I'm always talking about that, but it really did set the the, the certain parameters. Like, right. Like a drumline can be really, really loud and really overpower the band if everyone's just hitting super hard. So we actually practiced sure. more playing quieter than we did loud. Okay, To really gotcha. blend with the band. Yeah, man. Yeah, so I mean, that's, I don't know, um, do you have any specific exercises that you start with? Yeah, well, I mean, first I think it, it comes down to recognizing that it is something. Uh, I didn't recognize it early on at all because because I was into 80s rock. That was like my first genre of music that hit me was 80s rock. And it, it's a very monotone style. Uh, I never heard, you know, uh, who's the Rick Allen from Def Leppard? Yeah. Pretty much every note was the same volume. Yeah. I couldn't even tell which was the kick and which was the snare because the snare had more low end than the kick. Which is so, unfair to him because that was a production thing. He he plays with, di- he, at least back then, he definitely played with dynamics. But every one absolutely. of his snare hits was a sample and every one of his bass drum right. hits was a sample. Yeah, and I couldn't figure out how to get the reverse reverb yeah. in real time, right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I didn't. So it definitely wasn't on my radar. I thought you just kind of played that way. School band was definitely the first time. Yeah. I would say I was in school band as a child. Then when you get to junior high, you're in concert band or mm. symphonic band, and it's the level is so different, and the dynamics are everything. And you're right. I mean, I would think you can't play a drum any quieter than this. But yet my band director's plugging his ears yeah. like I'm I'm on tour somewhere, you know, yeah. and I'm like, Re- are you sure? <laughs> and and then we would when you do like those festivals where you have to go out with your band and play at a, at a festival and you get to see, you know, they'll always have the college band yeah. play or something. And then you see a, a college level or even a professional s- snare drum player. And it's like, oh, that's quiet. Yeah. OK. Uh, he's moving. I don't hear anything. Yeah, that's quiet. That's funny. So, cause that was that was the thing because I did a lot of those solo and ensemble festivals and stuff. Right. And and always what I focused on was can I play the quiet section so quiet that they can't really even hear it. That was just something that early on I knew like that's going to give me the high marks. Playing fast, yeah. playing impressive is not going to get me the high marks. But can I play that thirty second note pattern all the way out the edge on the snare drum and have it be so quiet that you have to kind of like lean in to hear it. That was right. just my goal. And it, right. it definitely worked. I didn't have chops or technique that would be better than anyone else, but I think my musicality was what stuck out and got me some high scores. Sure. Yeah, so, I mean, that was the beginning for me was seeing that. And then later on, DCI put out a videotape. I think it was just called maybe The History of Jazz Drummers. They had, like, part one and part two, I think. It's just I'm jazz sure. drumming one and jazz drumming yeah, two. That's yeah, that's what it is. Yep. And and it wasn't lessons. It was like the history. It was just walking through like, well, this is Chick Webb and this yeah. is – and the one person that made it all make sense to me was Sid Catlett. Oh, yeah. Um, he just – I remember he was playing this press roll, buzz roll, 
and I couldn't hear anything. I could see his sticks moving, and he was looking down, smiling at his sticks, and just almost like laughing at how <laughs> badass he was, right? Because he was a good-looking cat. He's got his suit on. The you know, I think he was playing maybe with Duke Ellington at the time, but I don't. I can't remember who he was playing with. But everyone in the big band was looking back at him, and he was just. And then he would go from that to the most bombastic thing ever, and then go, you know, and then it just vacuum out the sound, and he was back down to like nothing. But the the speed never changed. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. So that was definitely now my mind starting to open up to this thing. Like, wow, I play everything at one volume. Hmm, that's really, I like what Sid's doing there. And then it was probably when somebody gave me uh, Critters Buggins first album. And I yeah. heard Matt Chamberlain not be in a band, but I heard him do his own thing. And then I realized, okay, all right, now I want every note to have its own thing. So I think, Probably everything that I give my students is very common knowledge for any drum educator. We start usually with ghosted 16th notes and we don't move. We don't do anything until I can get those 16th notes and they don't need to be fast. Maybe we put the metronome at 60 BPM, 70 BPM, but they need to be under one inch. I mean, these are like tiny, tiny things, but controlled because when you get your stick that low, you start getting little buzzes and little accidental notes. It's It's really hard hard to control them. Yeah, really hard. So we start there. And then we start with the grid system. But instead of doing the grid of like downbeats, E's, ands, us, it's the downbeat of one. Yeah. So it's one, you know, and then and instead of going one and then one E, it's the downbeat of one, the downbeat of two, then the downbeat of three. And so then it, it might take us a week to build up to all four downbeats, then the E's, then the ands, then the us, then the doubles. So it's just a really simple grid system. And then it might be like, okay, let's let's pick a pattern. I'll put the two three sewn clave inside a bar of 16th notes one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a one e and a two e and a three e a four e and a. and now we're going to orchestrate that around the drum set but all of the ghost notes everything that's not accented needs to stay on the snare under two inches uh so just things like that so you know this brings up a, a a discussion that i always have with people is what what does dynamics actually mean because if i if you're in a rock setting or like a studio kind of backbeat oriented thing my classical sensibility of dynamics means make my quiets as quiet as possible my louds as loud as possible doesn't work there's a different no i don't a see different like definition of dynamics like even the idea of versus the closed hi-hat chorus is the open hi-hat that's a dynamic change even though the actual decibels that you're putting out might be identical Right. That, yeah. No. That, so this sounds like maybe what you're talking about is more of a dynamic within patterns rather than quiets and louds. Yeah. My thought is the physical control of making every note have a purpose as tied to volume, but I definitely see it as a distance between the quietest note and the loudest note of the of the musical setting. That distance it always remains the same for me. So. Um, the lightest tap on my snare would be relative to just a normal stroke on the snare, and that becomes ghost and accent. But if I'm going to hit like I'm in the Foo Fighters, then my ghost notes are probably somebody else's accents for that setting. So the the distance between my ghost note and my accent usually mean is is the same. It's just so once I have that, let's say that uh, a ghost note is one inch and an accent is four inches. Well, now, if I'm going to be in a rock setting, the ghost note is four inches and the accent is eight inches. Um, yeah. But that distance is the same. And uh, But, yeah, I definitely think that – So you're talking like about you inner said, dynamics more than actual dynamics, piano, mezzo piano, mezzo forte. Yeah, mainly because I don't know – unless you're playing 
in that world, I mean, most, most drummers don't even know what that is, you know? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> so, uh, letting them know that it's, it's not a piano, it's <laughs> pianissimo. It's yeah. like, you know, um, and, uh, and so I think that practicing being able to control every note just gives you more freedom on the kit to express yourself the way you want. Because if I am playing a very quiet section of ghost notes on my snare and then I just nail one giant rim shot, I shouldn't be doing that because it said – because I thought I needed to play an accent. I should be doing that because I'm going for an emotional response from the listener. Yeah. I want to scare them. Right. Um, now – if I know that, then I can then I then I know from there. Okay, well, I don't want to hit it so hard that I scare him. I just want it to be louder than this. Yeah, you know. And then as long as I'm tying a physical and emotional response from the listener to my drumming, then I feel like I'm doing a good job as a teacher and as a drummer. So if I'm playing extremely quiet, it's because I want you to lean in. I want you to be like, "What is he doing?" Yeah. You know. And if I blaze something with a lot of vol- volume, then I want you to be thrown into the back of your seat and be like wow that was the payoff so um but yeah i definitely agree that dynamics can also have to do with texture and shape as far as i could hit the hi-hat exactly the same but but start to lay my foot off it a little bit and it creates a a different vibe and different intensity i mean that's usually the 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 one instruction i get most often that just confuses me is like can you play the verse more dynamically or with more dynamics and i'm thinking (laughs) does that mean you want me just to play it softer or do you right because sometimes i think he means like more notes like play more interactive and that creates dynamic so i just looked up dynamic on the dictionary on my computer and it says characterized by constant change activity or progress that's one definition See, and I, I would think of that as syncopation as related to drumming yeah like give me a more syncopated groove i would think like okay more change more variations and the other one broken up positive in attitude and full of energy and new ideas again that's like kind of more like the rock drummer be dynamic means be more energetic not necessarily louder or quieter um in physics of or relating to forces producing motion often often contrasted with static so again, that's still the same definition of it being moving rather than soft and loud. Um, let's see, there's another one. Yeah, the musical definition relating to the volume of sound produced by an instrument, voice, or recording. Wow. Which, so we are number four on the list yeah, as far as. It's way down. I mean, there are one, two, three, four, five, six other alternate uh, definitions. So the producer is using the word in its actual sense. We right. are relating it to our musical definition. Yeah. Wow. It's really, you should have looked this up a long time ago. I know. It's, well, now <laughs> it makes me I want to apologize to the guys. I'm like, dude, what do you mean play more dynamically? I don't understand it. Because I was thinking, because you can only play so quiet to where the microphones don't pick it up. Exactly. Or do you want me to change the volume of every single note I'm playing? That's going to sound a little, <laughs> a little wonky. <laughs> this crash is not so loud. So... And with those definitions, a guy like Rich Redmond, to me, if he used the strict definition, is one of the most dynamic drummers around, even though he plays rim shots full bore from start to finish. Right. But yet his parts are ever-evolving and energetic. Energetic, right? Yeah. So that's, huh. that's a whole different huh. – I mean, that, it, now it makes sense. I, yeah, we should have looked it up about 20 years ago to make sure that <laughs> – But you would have had to do it with an actual dictionary. <laughs> Like with paper and turning pages and getting ink on your hands. We can't have that. We can't have that. So how do you practice both types of dynamics? 
Ooh, that's a good one. How do you practice? I mean, I, I can practice my volume control by doing, you know, a bar of, you know, endless bars of 16th notes and just gradually moving from super quiet to super loud and back down. How do you practice the more energetic style of dynamic playing? Yeah. That is a good question that I don't know that wow. I can answer. Wow, that's something we should actually spend this week exploring because I, 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 th- I feel like I'd have to sit on the drum set to explore that idea, Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, I, we could just stop right now and I'll just go out to the kit and you go, <laughs> you just set something up in the office of Modern Drummer and we'll we'll come back in an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 57 part two. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, maybe this is a good one just to open up to you and I. Now we, we know like, hey, let's, let's come back to this in a week or so and, and explore dynamics on a different definition. Yeah. So. Cool stuff. Do it. All right. Well, let's get into our featured artist. Our featured artist this time is someone that Mike really does not like. (laughs) uh, Not a fan of it all. And his name is Shannon Forrest. So this one, I I can't remember. I know we talked about it in the past, but did you actually get to do this interview? I did. Yeah, I I made sure of it because he's he's my current, like, hero. I want to be able to play the drums like this guy. Uh, He And speaking of dynamics, that is... 90% 90% of what makes him great and it's 90% of what he focuses on in both definitions of making sure there's contrast in, in volume with your drum fills and your parts and also making sure your parts are dynamic enough that they can stand alone. That was one of the quotes he that really kind of blew me away that's like every session he does whether it's a demo or a master recording or he's working with a young artist that he doesn't really care about the music or he's working with a legend he wants to he won't leave the drum stool until he feels like you could swipe everything off the track except for the vocal and the drums, and it would be a hit, like an actual wow. hit song. That kind of hit me pretty heavy. Like, all right, this guy is on a certain level of, of pursuit of excellence that not many people are willing to commit to. Right. And one of his heroes is um, Jeff Beccaro, who was the original drummer of Toto, and that who that's who Shannon is currently touring with. And he, he awesome. plays a lot like him. So if you get a chance to just check out some video of Shannon Forrest, it's it's kind of uncanny. He even like grits his teeth a little bit, like Jeff did. And I was going to say he kind of bites yeah. when he when he plays. <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, finding video of Shannon Forrest is not as easy as you would think. No, because he he's been in the studio for twenty five years and had no publicist, no manager, no drum clinics, no right anything. He's just been making hit records. Yeah, even the Toto stuff was camera phone, back of the arena type stuff. I found one thing that he did maybe for Fork's drum closet that was just him by himself grooving, and that's when I got to see him biting (laughs) uh, for every backbeat. There is a a, a DVD that I think you can stream it as well. It's um, Dukes of September, which is uh, Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, Michael McDonald, and Boss Skaggs. They did maybe a year or two of touring as as a super group. And they took Shannon on the road, so there's there's wow. really high quality footage of him playing like some of those really funky Steely Dan grooves and Boss Gag. I mean, and the dude's just been on everything. I'm looking at some of his discography: Brooks and Dunn, Taylor Swift, Rascal Flatts, Carrie Underwood, Toby Keith, Faith Hill, yeah. Holy Art Garfunkel, Martina McBride. It I I can't read fast enough. No, he's it's, he's on every hit. I mean. Maybe not every, but almost every hit album that comes out of Nashville. He's won the uh, Drummer of the Year Award, like I think, seven times in the past ten years. 
Yeah. Jeez Louise. Yeah, and it didn't make the story, but he actually, when we were talking, he's like, man, my goal for the next couple of years is to not win that thing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, I want to be doing so much other stuff that... <laughs> wow. I mean, it's awesome. Now, do you know, is he still... Because, you know, I, we both know what's going on with Brady. Is he still a Brady artist? No, or? no. He's... he's okay. He was he a Brady artist, or did he just own a Brady kit? He started out just loving their drums, and then okay. became like they never had any official artists, and he was the only one. Uh, so he wow. did the first. He did the Dukes of September tour with a Brady kit. And he, I think he did the first Toto run with a Brady kit. But then once word got out that Brady was going to shut down temporarily or and or permanently, we don't really know. He didn't want to take those drums on the road anymore, so he just keeps those in the studio. So I think gotcha. he took an old Gretsch kit out at one point, and he just got some Pearl drums that I think he's using okay. now. Pearl reference series. Oh, nice! So I don't think he's a pro artist at the moment, but he's you know he's he's courting the idea. Wow! Yeah. Very cool. And well, yeah, he can he can play whatever he wants. So he's <laughs> yeah. You know. I think. So uh, the interview was it you sending him a bunch of emails, or was it an actual conversation over the phone? That was a nice long conversation. He. He did want me to send him just some ideas so he could kind of get his thoughts together because he's a real um, he's a real deep thinker. So if he doesn't if he don't have a specific plan, the conversation will go all over the place just because every idea will spark another thought. Um, right, and he knows that about himself, so he didn't want it to have to happen. And it still kind of did, which I I tried to leave as much as I could in the story of him just kind of thinking out loud and going down different rabbit holes, but. Yeah, I gave him I gave him like a list of topics, so then he could at least kind of. All right, he's going to ask me about what do I think about click tracks and that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So we just did it on the phone. He was at his studio in Nashville, which is what's pictured in all the photos from the magazine. Okay, it's a ridiculous studio that he built. But he built himself. I'm him and his friends just built it. it. Took like five or six years to build. Really? And it's massive. It's like the size of. Probably the studio that you were in when you were in Nashville. Oh wow! It's, it's like a, like so it has like a live room and everything. Oh, it's like huge. a real live room. It's like thirty wow. some foot ceilings, and I mean he's got isolation booths. He's got a big drum tracking room. He says he likes his room better than any of the other studios in town, except for like Blackbird or or uh, Oceanway. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. I, I visited him there several years back when I was down there for Summer Nam when he was still. It was almost done. It was just some finishing touches that he needed to finish. And it was, I mean, absolutely ridiculously gorgeous. Wow. Super drum envy when I saw that because I'm, <laughs> you know, my tiny oh, little worst, home man. studio. And I'm like, dude, you've got a full-on, like, bigger than Avatar Studios room in your house. Uh, with like and, a, and it'll, I mean, you know, when you see that stuff, you come home and you think, like, I need new preamps. Yeah. That'll change everything. <laughs> you know, I, I got I to gotta get... I got to get a bigger room. And it's like, oh, no, yeah. it's, I mean, getting back from Ireland took me a little while to be like, okay, that place exists. That's not what I do for a living. You don't need all that gear. Mm-hmm. You don't need to buy anything. Just calm down. Yeah. And I did, man. I, I bought, you know what I bought is I bought DAWs. I bought uh, Pro Tools. Sonar Pro Tools. I bought Sonar Cake or Cakewalk Sonar. I brought, I brought, I bought Pro Tools. I bought the introductory version of uh, Personas's Studio One. Okay. I, I bought them all. What's one are you craft? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it, the interface is so easy. I can't help it. Yeah, but the, I, the 
the version is going to be so much better in Pro Tools. I, and stuff. I don't care. <laughs> you listen to me on your phone. It's like I'm not tracking for anybody. Ugh. But we'll talk about that later because my pick of the week actually relates to sound and it is a game changer for me. And I can't wait. I want to actually review it this month uh, so that I can give audio examples of everything. Cool. But I really kind of hit some stride but uh nice. well that's cool well everyone definitely check out shannon Forrest. uh i i hope that in the future maybe something happens kind of like the aaron sterling thing for him where he 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 lets us in a little bit yeah. to his magic um, yeah I mean, he doesn't owe us at that at all but i think it i think it would just definitely put him into a different light with the drummers of the world and most of the guys that do it he does don't care about that at all yeah but at the same time it, it would be just nice i would love to see his process for sure yeah it's he's a he's a very special drummer that it's it's kind of hard to describe until you see it he has just a magical touch and near perfect time like it's it's to the point where i thought he's faking it some of the time like how are you getting these like there's some recordings that i've i've been studying where i'm like this has to be all sample replaced and gridded out but he's Maybe sometimes that happens to him, but he's in the story he talks about like that's unacceptable for him. So he won't wow. even take the gigs where that's the kind of process that'll go down. Wow. Like he's unwilling to accept that that he should be edited. He wants to be able to play at a point where there's no need to edit him. Yeah, and I mean that is especially when you think about his heroes, that's how they did it. Exactly. And and I mean God, at some point we gotta just let music be music, right? Yeah, right. It just it, it just has to I mean, sometimes people use it as an excuse, like, oh I like the time to breathe, and I'm like, No, you just rush. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you, you don't just can't. you don't Yeah, like that's not but but when it's not an excuse where it's just like, hey, there are things that are maybe one tenth off of being absolutely flawless, but that's kind of why I did it and the machine didn't do it. Yeah. So. I mean he's talking about um I wanna try to find the bit where he it just his level of of accuracy just dumbfounded me. He's talking about being within 10 milliseconds of the click, and that's what he uses to pull back or push ahead. 10 milliseconds. So the idea of laying back or pushing ahead is almost not perceivable by most people. Right. He can hear it. So the idea of lay behind the click, I mean, what you and I or most people think was, well, flam with the click. Right, he's at the point where it's like, no. If you hear a flam, you're too far. It's just to the breaking point where you can almost hear that it's not dead on. Wow. Ten milliseconds. And I could actually, I could see him going into Pro Tools, <laughs> zooming in between him and the click, and being like, it's not consistent, or, or the gap's too big yeah. between me and the click. Wow. And he talks about um, when he goes in, like he likes to play his fills with a little bit of edge, like a little okay. bit of forward momentum, but. There's a tendency for everyone else in the session to hear that and start rushing. Like if you hear the drummer playing sure. on the edge because because everyone else's time just isn't that tight. They're kind of relying on the drums. So they get to the chorus and all of a sudden everyone else is rushing. So what he does is the two measures before that fill, he'll gradually lay it back so he gives himself extra space to play that fill with some edge and still land on still- the freaking one. Oh my god! It's kind of isn't that freaky? You know what freaky. though? Isn't that what we want out of like the greatest studio drummers alive? Right. And that's what that's what we were hoping Jeff was doing, but we really didn't have the the media that we have now. We're hoping that that's what Bernard did in every session right. back in the day. Uh, and so I think that's awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, I 
I don't want to think that like I could do that. It's like no, I can't do that, yeah. and that's okay because I haven't spent my life doing it. But if somebody has spent their life doing it, I hope they're that obsessed with it. So I, I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's super really inspiring. cool. I mean, he he made me again question my efforts to try to be a session drummer, but also <laughs> inspire me to like okay, it can be done. He's not he's not a superhuman being. He's right. not like a savant or anything where his brain can just calculate way beyond. It's just from an early age, that's all he focused on was right. playing yeah. with good time and good dynamics And it. Wow. I mean, it's proven to be totally worth it. I mean, and now he's playing in Toto and crushing it. And, yeah. and so he's, he's branching out of Nashville. So yeah, Shannon Forrest, my current favorite drummer, great guy too. He's sweetheart, but, but very straightforward and honest, which I think is the best type of personality where he's absolutely, it's not going to BS you, but he's also not going to just be a jerk for no reason. Yeah, just for jerk's sake. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Well, that's awesome. Well, everyone, check out Shannon Forrest. Uh, you can find some of his videos. Uh, like I said, it is a little hard, but you can find them on drummerworld.com. Obviously, you could just type it into YouTube, and uh, then you'll get a lot more concert footage. But uh, check out the one, the one, like I said, where he's doing something for Fork's Drum Closet. It comes up pretty early in the video search on YouTube. And it's him playing by himself. He's just grooving a little bit, but it, it's really cool. Really, really cool. And you'll get to hear what Mike's talking about. It's not a bunch of chops and a bunch of licks. It's just fantastic time with great, tasty ideas and really caring about every note. So, all right, let's get into some gear review. This time we are going to check out the Bosphorus 20th Anniversary Series symbols. Uh, yes, sir. I got, to hear, I got to hear these today on their website. They have a nice, decent website. I'm not going to cream their website. It was good. I was able to find it. Um, actually, the videos that they're using embedded in their site are from uh, is it from moresymbols.com. Oh, right. Yeah. And I just did an interview for their podcast yesterday. Hmm. Um, so uh, he was actually the guy that does all their, their podcast stuff um, was at the thing I did in Nashville. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, so um, and it's recorded really well, nice and simple. No, it's not over EQ'd or anything. I, th- I thought the symbols were fantastic. So, give me the breakdown of what these are and why they're the twentieth anniversary symbols. Yeah, well, it's twenty years of Bosphorus. That's that's the anniversary. Obviously, um, I'm an idiot. That's fine. But these, I didn't know if it was the anniversary of just a specific line. Yeah, so no, it's, it's, it's actually the twentieth anniversary of their company. Yep, exactly. Okay. Uh, but they're, I mean, what would be 20 years ago? That'd be 1996, right? That's 20 years ago. Yep. So to do like a 1996 symbol line probably wouldn't be too smart because what will we plan in 1996? Heavy, brilliant, uh, right. clangy Pl- symbols. So I think that's when the Zildjian Platinum series came out. Yeah, I mean, that's probably <laughs> when I was using the... Uh, Rock Crusher Vic First Sticks in the yeah <laughs> I was AA I was definitely Sabian AAX in '96 <laughs> for sure <laughs> so they wanted to go back to more of the the '60s style Turkish type symbols so these are heavily patinaed they got rid of the big Bosphorus logo and just put like a, a more subtle 20th anniversary white logo on it they look like old K's they're very thin. Um, and let's see, they come in. There's not a whole lot of sizes. I think it's, I think it's just 13, 14 inch hi hats, 16, yep. 17, 18 crash, 20, 21, and 22 inch rides. The rides are very thin crash rides. So they're crashy enough. Yeah. Got it. They're definitely old K sound. I saw that it was the crashes were 16, 17, 18, and I thought, oh man, I'm surprised they didn't do a 19 or 20. But then I thought, well, if they're thin enough, then the 20 
is a crash yeah, anyways. Exactly. Right on, I use so. them um, a lot of times with the 20 and the 22, and I could crash on both of them and ride on both of them. Uh, nice. Yeah, so they're very thin, dark, kind of old K. They, they're really um, – they open up really fast and really nicely. So I liked okay. them when I was playing – like I played a a benefit show in a big ballroom. We were we were trying to play like Jimi Hendrix stuff, but it like pianissimo kind of dynamics, okay. <laughs> literal low dynamics. So I was still able to hit the crashes and get like a really nice full flash of a crash sound with just like a flick. And yeah. then I heard some kids. We had some a student band play after us, so I got to be in the back of the ballroom and, and listen to a thirteen year old kid with <laughs> with no dynamics hit the cymbals and they still sounded great even when he was kind of really? punching them pretty hard it wasn't like that you know, my ears didn't explode each time he wow. hit them yeah so they're really good for for that low volume kind of club date i mean they're you can use it for jazz but i use them for for rock and whatever kind of gigs any kind of low volume kind of club or bar kind of okay situation. but you, so you've got you've really got to put them to their paces yeah i use them on probably awesome. a dozen dozen different gigs they they're wow. definitely way too thin for anything that has like a big pa system or something like that they're okay they're gonna they're gonna blow out a little bit but acoustic gigs or, or lower volume rock country pop whatever singer songwriter stuff they're very pleasant sounding uh, maybe you won't get that look from your from your bandmates of man, stop hitting the crashes. Right, and, sure, sure. And I do a roots. lot of I do a lot of these sessions where it's there were uh, jam sessions for children where I'm the house band. Okay, so I get to I take all this stuff with me and I get to hear you know ten year old drummers, twenty year old drummers, fifteen year old drummers hit all this stuff. And these were the few that it wasn't like like I was grimacing every time they hit a crash. Doesn't happen very often. Nice. Nice man. Um, now I might be getting my companies mixed up, but is this who Carter plays for? No, is that's he a boss that's Agop. There we go. They all they all start to run together after a while. Yeah, uh, Bosphorus is the company that used to be um, Stanton Moore, Stanton Moore. Hamilton, and then okay. that became Crescent, which is now absorbed by Sabian. But right. Bosphorus is still Bosphorus. one of the the bigger uh, the big dogs. factories in Turkey. Awesome man. You know we haven't talked about it, but. And I haven't heard anything out of Germany, out of Meinl, but I wonder how all, all the stuff that was going on in Turkey, like how that's affecting symbol production. I mean, I got a, I got some emails from the different companies, and they said, don't be alarmed, nothing's changing. It's, really? Every, okay. Shipments will still go out on time. Wow. And factories are still producing. So wow. I guess nothing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's just so crazy. I mean, we sometimes, uh, not to go bring it back to Colin Kaepernick, <laughs> but sometimes we forget how lucky we are that we just are even allowed to go about our day without really having to worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah, a coup uh, trying to take over your government. Right? I remember seeing it on TV and I was thinking, uh, I'm not getting my 15-inch prototype hats anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, and that's fine. You guys deal with what you got to deal with. That's way more important than my butter hats. Uh, so, yeah, and but I but I I really just haven't reached out to Norbert uh, in Germany at Meinl to say, hey, I mean, what happened? Uh, the entire Byzance line is made in Turkey, yeah. and unlike Istanbul Agop or Bosphorus with with Meinl, it's a huge amount. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just a batch of symbols. I mean, it's their entire Byzance line, and and they are one of the bigger symbol companies. So, but I haven't heard any. I mean, we haven't gotten any emails as artists saying, hey, slow down on your 
Byzant's order. So yeah, no. hopefully everything's okay over there. Well, good stuff. Well, let's uh, let's give these things a listen. We have three questions to get to this week. First one is from Garrett, uh, Annapolis, Maryland, which I know very well. Nice. His question is, how do you determine which drums to take to a gig? I assume you would consider some drums too nice to take out and that you really can't tell the difference in a live sound situation. So where do you draw the line and how you make it make that determination? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, for most people, for most of their life, there is no question because you take out your drum set. Right, That's exactly. all you have. Um, at some point, that you you know you might play long enough that you start collecting a little bit of a collection, different sizes, different quality levels. I mean, I would say that most people that I know have a nice kit, and then they eventually go and buy a, what they would call a bar kit, like a yeah. you know, hey, if somebody spills a beer on it, I don't care. Um, so I think. For me, I can tell you when it comes down to my choice, I have probably six or seven drum sets right now. I really choose the one that I'm the most inspired by at the moment. I don't think about, but I'm not playing. I'm not playing. It's not like Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze where people were throwing right. beer bottles at the screen, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, I think sometimes it depends on the gig, I guess. I'm lucky that the, the few gigs that I play in town are at a place where. No one's coming up and like being like, "Yo, can I sit in?" You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 a bar. It, it's definitely a bar. It's called the Shady Lady, but it's. I mean, I load in, I unpack my drums, I play them, and I leave. And so it's. I've never had any problems. So I don't really think of the cost of my drums at that point. I'm more just thinking about, man. I, I just I'm so inspired by that kit. I have to play that one today. What about you? Yeah, similar. Um, back when I only had one real kit and had my Signia kit. Because I'd sold my Pearl Exports, and all I had was my Premier Signia kit, which was a really right. nice kit. It was my first professional kit, and I had talked about it before. I still own it. I took that. I use it on everything. So every gig that came up, and it's gotten beat up. The front bass drum hoop is cracked and all kinds of stuff. But I took it to what I thought was going to be a real kind of fancy, upscale wine art gallery opening. Okay. But, you know, when you got free wine, people get kind of nuts. And some dude yeah. started pouring wine from the scaffolding above me onto my drums. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I stopped playing and was ready to get into a fight in a suit. I was ready to fight. It wow. was terrible. So that that was my first lesson of maybe I should have just taken the college's drum set to that gig and not been all fancy pants with my gold-plated hardware premiere right, right. kit. <laughs> <laughs> but since then, I mean, wow. that was... so that. That definitely kind of stung and stuck with me. Like, if I want to be playing a bar with no stage and that the PA is kind of set up on the floor, yeah. I'm going to just be careful with what I take. So I'll probably take um, – it's funny because my beater kit is actually a really great old Ludwig kit from the late 60s. But I didn't pay anything for it. I traded some microphones and stuff for it. So it was. it's right. like I have this kit. It's all – it has the Tom mount, you know – into the bass drum so I don't I can leave the the rack tom on the bass drum and I so I can carry that in one hand because that's a 20 inch bass drum right and I can stack the floor tom and the snare drum so I can carry the whole kit in one slightly uncomfortable 
kit load in, but I don't right. I don't need cases. I don't need the I don't need a cart. So that's kind of my kit, and I haven't changed the head since I got it. I mean, it, it's 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 being abused, but that's why I got it to be like my right, sure. throw it yeah, in yeah. the trunk and just roll drum set. Yeah, so that's kind of my kit. Whenever I'm just going to play bars and stuff, where there's no there's no distinction between when can the drunk people enter your space you know? right you know it's it's weird for me it, it does it never comes down to cost and I, and I know that's easy for me to say as an endorsed artist but i'm i mean this i was doing way more gigs way when before i was endorsed it always just came down to respect you know yeah. it's like i if i own a, a 400 dollars kit i actually take a lot of pride in it i would never own a something that i didn't care about so it's like dude it's not the cost i mean honestly whether you're hitting my 400 hundred dollar kit or four thousand dollar kit you're hitting the ten dollar drum head yeah it's just the fact that you're going in with no respect that just drives me nuts you know i'm i yeah because i'm not a big even when i load out my nice kits and someone will help me they're like where do i put your bass drum i'm like put it on the ground they're like what i'm like i what are you gonna do like jump on it and like sled down the hill with it like put it on the freaking ground i don't care so I'm not like it's it's all it just always comes down to respect, you know. Yeah. Um, when I, even even now I know that if I crack a cymbal during camp, I know mine will replace it. It's not a problem. It I lose my mind when people bash and bash with no respect because yeah. I'm like, hey man, like come on, I don't want to call mine. I don't want that to crack. A, a dude, we just talked about it. A guy that's got like some serious unrest in his country, <laughs> handmade this. Yeah. Be nice to it. So, so yeah, as far as – let's get back to the question. As far as what kit to take, I honestly take the kit that inspires me the most at that moment in time. Yeah. I'm the most excited to play because I think that will translate to my playing. Yeah, the other the other uh, decision for me is the type of gig. If it's – you know, you don't want to take too big of drums when you're playing a smaller room. Well, that – okay. Now, hold on. That it determines way more for me. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you have three flights of stairs? Kick and snare. Yep. <laughs> it'll be a nice kick and it'll be a nice <laughs> snare, but you get in kick and snare. You don't get no toms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made yeah. the mistake of taking like a 24 inch bass drum to what I thought was going to be a huge gig, like a big sound stage, and it was like a Irish pub in the middle of a of a venue. Oh. So I had a huge oh. kit with a 15 inch snare drum, 13 and 16 inch <laughs> tom, 24 inch bass drum. <laughs> yeah, and I ended up having to like tape notebook paper all over the drums just to keep oh. them from ringing too much. So yeah, oh, that's, that's so rad. The the volume of and the type of venue determines what I take. But again, this is coming from a guy who has a pretty big collection of drums. So right, yeah. If I just had a beater kit and a nice kit, it would just be solely dependent on is there an elevated stage and what's the load in situation. Right. If it's yeah. a sketchy load in and the stage is on the floor, I'm taking my beater kit. Especially uh, yeah, and if if it's a situation where people are allowed to kind of tap you on the shoulder and be like, "Hey, can I jam with tune?" Yeah, <laughs> then it's a little different for sure. So, yeah. all right, next cool. question. Next question comes from Adam. He says, um, "What are the pros and cons of different snare drum builds, such as stave, segmented, steam bent, ply, and solid?" Wow, that's a deep question. Yeah, we can probably just kind of go through and define each one first. So, stave shell is when the shell is cut with vertical chunks, kind of like a conga drum. Yep. And they're glued. Or a whiskey barrel. Or a whiskey barrel. Segmented would be if there's like rectangle blocks that are stacked and, and formed into a shell and then sanded and, and routed. Steam bent would be one plank of wood that's soaked in water and slowly bent into a shell. And then solid, a true solid shell, would be like a hollowed out log, right. like an African drum. So pros and cons of each. Um, 
the one con of a solid shell is that it, it'll be unstable. It'll be it'll expand and contract as the weather changes because it's it's a living breathing piece of wood that you just hollowed out. Even Canopus, they uh, they include like a wrench and some some tools to kind of move the lugs during different times of the year and stuff. Really? Yeah, wow. It'll, it'll crack if the lugs are too tight and you get into an expansion period. It'll crack the shell. Wow, and those, I had no idea. Yeah, and those drums That's are awesome. expensive as hell, so you don't want a solid shell cracking on you. Um, let's see, cons of a steam bent shell for me. Um, I don't remember which storm it was, but when Nashville got flooded out really, really bad a few years back, and drum, yep. I think it was Drum Paradise got like who who they store almost all the the major. Yeah, I was just there picking up gear, and they and we we talked about that flood. Yeah, and it was a it was a big deal. Yeah. So I I had heard from various people who had steam bent drums that that the drums like just unfolded, and there's really no. There's no wow. way to fix that. Yeah, of so course. So once that seam comes unglued and, and the shell just starts to open back up, you kind of just need to get a new drum. So that would be a con of, of steam bent. Segmented, I don't know of any cons except for they're usually heavy. Um, they might crack since there's so many little little blocks of wood. Stave shell, the cons would be the same thing. They're usually thick and heavy, um, and they can and the staves can split if they're not glued properly. Um Stave shells and segmented shells are going to be less versatile musically. That would be another yeah. con. They're going to be a little more of a just a powerful type of a sound. Uh, pros, I don't. Let's see. They're all going to be better to me than just your run-of-the-mill ply shell sonically. Okay. I think they're just going to sound bigger, fuller, more more potential to do different things. Um, in most cases, I mean, you can get a high-end ply shell drum made; it's going to sound wonderful. But sure, apples sure. to apples, if you have a you know a general a off the off the shelf steam bent snare compared to an off the shelf ply shell, I think you're going to notice that the the steam bent's going to be like the big boy snare. It's going to just sound okay. more of everything. Wow! In my opinion, my experience. Sure. Um, yeah, I've I've never owned anything other than metal and plied shells so i i really have no nothing to go on because nam doesn't help out too much yeah no and in the stave drums that i've tested out the brady's and the canopus and uh, angel drums they have a, a a snap in a presence that is is untouched by any other type of of shell so if you do a okay. lot of live playing that you're really struggling to get your toms to cut through stave kit will will do that it's like an extra it goes to eleven as they, as <laughs> it goes they to 11. say. Nice, not necessarily nice. louder, but they just they just snap and they just do cut. more. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, so other pro. I mean, let's see, pros of yeah, yeah. It's kind of hard to really differentiate all those as far as pros, but I went through the cons, and I think that's the, probably the most important thing. Sure. To consider is I think the other thing too is the artistry. There's so much more that has to go into one of those drums even coming to life. Yeah. That and that's where the cost is going to come in is just the man hours that it takes to make that. Yep. I mean, making a uh, applied shell, it's not easy by any means, but they they do have a system down. Most drum manufacturers have, you know, if you go to DW, they have their presses for it, and the system is very, um, I guess, dialed. And you know, when you were explaining what Johnny Craviato went through to bend each shell and how dangerous it yeah. could be, it's like 
yeah, I'm, as soon as you add danger into me making you a drum, I'm adding cost. Yeah, like, and, and I don't like, think uh, I don't think a robot can make any of these type of shells we're talking about. A robot can gotcha. make a ply shell drum, which is probably right. why I think it's better to go with one of these. Like, if you're just going to get a nice high end snare drum, I would say go with one of these because it's going to require someone to handcraft it. So right. they're going to they're going to fine tune it. Whereas if you just get a, a general maple snare drum from just off the factory floor, you don't even know if a human being checked it because it's right. all ro- it right. can be made yeah. by robots. So you just have no sure. idea. They could have chunks out of the barren edge. The the beds could be jacked up. The wood could, could have just been a bad batch of wood, and it's really right. hollow sounding. But there's no human interaction. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have anyone making stave segmented steam bent or solid drums and just be like, eh, let me just use whatever wood I've got and let me just right. quickly crank this thing out and not listen to it, <laughs> not actually tune it and play it. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So there's a certain level of just pride and, and quality control. And at least you know the person listened to it and said it's good enough to send out. Right. I don't know that that's always the case with just a general ply shell drum. Man, wouldn't it be nice if we could just someday hit the clean slate button and be like, okay, one snare drum, rest of my life. Right. One bass, one kit, one set of cymbals. And it's like, because I, I, I look up to those people that have had that and they just, it's like, oh, every time I see him, that's his kit. Yeah. You know, that's her kit. And so, uh, yeah, sometimes I just, I wish, and it sounds like if somebody's really serious about getting like the snare, that, then those sound like great options. All right, let's get to our third All question. Right, third question is from uh, Kyle. This is a health question that, uh, disclaimer, neither of, neither of us are qualified to answer, but we will try Perfect. anyway. <laughs> so he's wondering if either of us have had uh, tennis elbow. If so, oh. what did you do to rec- correct or relieve it? Um, he says he has not changed his setup or sticks or the way he plays. He's been playing for years, and this is the first time that he's had any problem. He used Tiger Bomb, Ibuprofen for relief, and K-Tape as well. Wow. Uh, My quick jump in on this is it takes years for that stuff to to develop. So just because you haven't changed anything doesn't mean you're not doing something probably not the most most, uh, effortlessly. So I would definitely take a look at your technique maybe go have a lesson with someone that that studied molar technique or whatever see if you're doing something weird my other advice would be check your diet and your health your general health make sure you're getting plenty of water make sure you're getting all your you know eating your vegetables and not living off pizza and french fries (laughs) because again i don't know how old you are but i'm assuming that this is a cumulative of your lifetime kind of finally developing and showing some symptoms uh you have any experience with it none none whatsoever i mean the only time i've ever had any issues like that have been from camps where i'm like let's go throw the football around and yeah then, right you know johnny utah has to see how far he can bomb it for the europeans <laughs> and uh they're like whoa i'm like well it's what we do here in america we throw that thing uh, really far and then i come back up and i'm like oh my elbow hurts oh my goodness you know how what makes me more sore than anything else is throwing huh. darts Real? What? It's such a weird motion. <laughs> oh. I literally get so sore right at the bicep and, and elbow joint, like to Dude, the point where I'm like, I can't even. I can't even look at you in your little Skype eyes. <laughs> When's you the last really time you threw darts? <laughs> When's the last time you done it? <laughs> Don't get mad. Come I'm on, just seriously. <laughs> okay, seriously. Last time I done it, probably ten years ago. Yeah. Well, try it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
I'm going to go out and throw lawn darts for you. <laughs> See if your bicep isn't like, dude, I'm about to rip off tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just generate the motion. <laughs> yeah, that is... Wow, it's weird. I can, man. I can, I can see how hard that would be on your. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, mixing a freaking workout. I'm what? telling you, man. I'm all right, you. all right. You know what? I'm not going to dog it. There is a, there is a European pub here in Old Town Folsom called the Fat Rabbit that we take the campers to, and they have dartboards. I will play a full <laughs> round of darts at the next on Saturday. Full round of darts. I will report back to you on how my buys and tries are. And I think I could probably go nine innings and not be a wimp about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there's just that one thing where you're like, gal, darn it. Okay. It's just one of those you. things where I'm like, this is just a stupid game. Like, why is it, why is it hurting the next day? It's just a stupid <laughs> bar game. Uh, so, yeah, we have no advice for you whatsoever. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the advice. Uh, Consult your physician. Hey, maybe who was our uh, our physical therapist? Yeah, to? yeah. You might want. Um, I'll have to look him up, but um, he's a, a Canadian drum guy, and um, and yeah, he, he can definitely chime in for us for sure. All right, so that's it for our questions. So we didn't help anybody. Perfect. <laughs> no, I mean, Let's I, get I, I say eat some vegetables, <laughs> drink yeah. some water, and check out your technique. Right <laughs> there, you go. I, I, and turn off your phone. <laughs> and I didn't put the do not disturb on. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, all right, so it's time for the picks of the week. Um, holy crap, dude! I can't make it stop. <laughs> right, oh goodness gracious! All right, uh, okay, pick of the week. This time it is for me uh, a sound thing. So I mentioned earlier that I've gone through all these different DAWs, and I, I did hear differences in them for sure. But none of them made me go like, oh, my gosh, I have to use Pro Tools. I have to use this. I read every review you could, and every review always came down to the same thing, um, especially if it wasn't for somebody that's sharing tracks. Like, if I was doing a lot of session work, of course I would use Pro Tools. It wouldn't even be yeah. a, a problem. Uh, and I did. I, I mean, you can call Wayne from Sweetwater. I went to Sweetwater, and I bought these. Like, this is not... You know, BitTorrent hookups. I, I bought these. I wanted the real versions. I wanted the support. Um, but really, my my recording is just for me. And all the reviews I read came down to one thing, which was the UI, user interface. What do you feel most comfortable with? Use that one. You can you can tweak the sounds. Um, so I just I ended up getting the the most pro version of Mixcraft, which is like 170 bucks <laughs> for the big boy version. But I was like, fine. You know what? I feel comfortable in this. And I, I really did want to move to something cooler, but I didn't feel as comfortable. So anyways, so I got that. Um, and if anybody wants to come to my studio and use Pro Tools, it's here for you. And then I started looking into plugins. I wanted to – actually, what we talked about with the drum thing, I kind of wanted to wipe the, the slate clean and think, okay, I just want one good EQ, one good compressor. Yeah. You know, pretty much one good channel strip. That's all I want. I don't use reverb on anything. Um, I have a very dry sound. And so I started checking things out and downloading trials and after trial after trial. Went through every plugin. And they all kind of sounded like generic compression, generic EQ. And then I got to the Slate Digital VMR, Virtual Mix Rack. And I... You know, I'm not a huge fan of samples and all the other stuff, but I got to tell you, as soon as I put this on, 
there's this moment, and Mike, you know this probably better than most, but there's a moment when you're in a studio and the, and you're in the control room and they're just playing back your snare tone. Mm-hmm. And they're just patching things, patching things, and then it finally hits the compressor, the real outboard compressor. Yep. And there's this moment where your snare becomes a studio snare drum. I've never been able to get that in a plug-in until I got these. And I'm telling you, immediately I was like, oh, that's that's that studio plug that's that studio compressor sound uh the eq is very simple it's it's literally a channel strip from a neve board pretty much and man i was i was shocked so uh the one so really what it is is you're buying this rack and then you you put the plugins into it and it comes what i got came with four plugins it comes with two compressors and two different eqs so I got if you go to Sweetwater, it's just called the Slate Digital VMR Virtual Mix Rack Plugin Bundle. It's 199 bucks, so 200 bucks. And then what's great is after that, you can keep buying any of the plugins they make, and it it goes into this rack, and it's like building uh, an actual outboard gear rack system. It's really cool, nice. and then you can move all these pieces around in the rack and hear how it sounds if the snare hits the compressor, then the EQ, then you move them, you just switch them around and. It's visually, it's very appealing. They did a great job on the UI. So anyway, so that that's my pick of the week. And uh, maybe next week or the week after, I can actually review it and give everybody the real details on it and then give you the sound of my drums without this plugin and then with this plugin. Sweet. So, yeah, he's, yeah been, uh, he's been kind of killing it on the, the plugin side of things for, for a while. I mean, his, uh, his drum replacement plugin, Trigger, is right industry standard i mean most people are using that instead of i mean drumagog was kind of the first one that everyone started using and trigger kind of took over and yeah he's making some great stuff i don't have any of it but i know a lot of my friends who take my drum tracks and mix them use a lot of his stuff like the tape emulation plugin and right kind of stuff yeah i mean that's actually um i mean god visually these things are out of control he's definitely spending a lot of money on ui um but yeah, that's the next one I want to get is the the tape emulation. But what's great is you can download the trials. Um, you do have to have an iLock. Um, if you have a iLock second generation, that helps. Um, so if you guys don't know what that is, look that up, and I can review that more next time we do this. But you do have to have an iLock. But you'll you'll get a you'll get a two week full trial, and that's great for me. I mean, each plugin is you know between a hundred and two hundred dollars, so I, I do want to try it out. Uh, one of the things that is very cool but i'm not going to pay for it is the preamps he has virtual preamps yeah i just didn't hear enough of a difference especially when i know that i'm bouncing this down to people's phones yeah it was like okay maybe if i was obsessing but this it's just not enough to spend 200 dollars on uh but the compressors and the eqs were fantastic so i'll i'll definitely point out which exact eqs and which exact compressors i'm using next time so what about you buddy Cool. Mine is an, an app that I've been using for years, but just finally purchased the the full version of it. It's the okay. Pro Metronome app. Oh, okay. Which there's a free version that gives you a basic metronome with you know it's just like a spin the dial and set your tempo. But the Pro version has all the stuff that I was using that other app for. It has a rhythm trainer that can drop out percentages of, of beats and stuff. It can it can count bars, so it'll it'll turn off after a certain amount of measures it's got vibrate features it's got a flash feature it's got a bunch of different sounds but my favorite it's got a tuner but my favorite feature is the what is it called i think it's called stage okay so it puts it into a stage mode where you can um store like your whole set of tempos 
and the interface huh. is such that all of them are on the screen at once. So you can just touch and tap and go to the next. Oh song. wow! Super cool, and you can also if. If you needed to, you could say play that tempo for 64 bars and go straight to the next one. Yeah, that's what it says. It says you can choose the timing to switch songs in a playlist yeah. um, or touch it on the next downbeat. That's great. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good metronome app. It'll be – I always take my Dr. Beat to gigs, but just because it's, you know, it's not going to get interrupted by Wi-Fi or whatever, I might forget to do. But this is cool. I like the idea of being able to name – a, a tempo and a, a, a whatever a program by the song title and then right. just click on it on the screen so it's the pro yeah, metronome app i think it was like four dollars i don't remember but um, it wasn't super expensive yeah and uh they actually have it for apple watch too oh yeah hey. yeah um yeah very very limited screen but yeah so they have it for iphone ipad and apple watch so uh, and i have this metronome and uh, maybe I'll start. God, man, when when the iPhone came out, that first five years, all metronomes. I, I was a metronome junkie, man. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't even care if it was free or paid, or I was like, I gotta have it. I gotta have every metronome ever made. And yep. so, uh, but this is great, especially for the gigging drummer. Good stuff. Yeah, awesome. Well, everybody, check out Pro Metronome. Check out some uh, free trials of the Slate Digital Virtual plug-in rack it's pretty cool stuff and uh yeah so then we'll come out is this our longest podcast ever no but I, maybe but we had a good seven minutes of bs in the that's, beginning that's right and <laughs> and in the middle and in the middle when fedex showed up so oh man good stuff all right buddy well then i will talk to you next week and we will uh, get into some more stuff I, and i think the, there's some more symbols to review too yeah because you did two sets right yeah uh, the, did the, the, the the next set we'll do next week is the turkish uh soundscape series which is some really weird stuff really cool. strange stuff cool can't wait to hear it we'll have an awesome week bud you too later